First of all, first thing we have to do is uh, we're not going to sing it because, you know, I got to save my voice for this sermon. <coughs> but, uh, Kat, happy birthday to you. You're welcome very much. Um, I just want to make sure that you church people understand. Uh, I know you guys like to fight over the front row, but these are reserved for nightlife kids. So don't, don't try to come up here and sit. This is not your place. It's theirs. So, all right. Um, today is a very, very different format. As you can see, I'm up here early. Um, we're going to do some worship at the end. We're going to institute some new things called some James 5 teams. You'll hear more about that in a few minutes. But after four and a half chapters of intense instruction, right, of intense information that James has been giving us, warning, admonition, he finishes up with a prescription for just about any type of response you could have to his letter. And what he does is he puts in place a structure that I think many churches miss. I think they misapply, I think they misunderstand, and I think they, they misinterpret. And I believe what needs to happen is what we're getting ready to learn this morning should become a regular, normal part of our worship process. And we're going to discuss that. <clears throat> but um, before we get to that, I had a title picked this week for this sermon, and I asked my wife and a few others what they thought, and they all thought it was very offensive. I know that's surprising to you. So I came up with another title which also apparently was offensive. <laughs> so I have two offensive titles, and I'm just going to let you pick whichever one you want to apply to the sermon. So the first title is Humble Pie. <laughs> Humble Pie. Or if you don't like that one, you can call it Eat It. Whichever one you want to pick is fine. We're very flexible here. You can pick any sermon title you want. Um, let's read today's passage. <clears throat> Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore fruit. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins." It's a pretty powerful passage. Remember, this is the last eight verses or so from the book of James. He summarized the first part of chapter 5, summarized basically the first four chapters. And we explained last week how there was something for everyone. Some of us are broken. Some of us are encouraged. But either way, what he does in the second half of chapter 5 is he takes this passage and he says, Okay, whether you're broken or encouraged, here's what you do. And so the first point I want to bring up to you is really just a story. 
I was in a church about 20 years ago. I was on staff. And uh, one of the old pastors there told me a story. Actually, we went to a, a fellowship of some other pastors. And this old, we were talking about James chapter 5 and this anointing with oil and praying for the sick. And he says, well, let me tell you a story. He says, about 20 years ago, so that would have been 40 years ago. He goes, we had about four people in our church that were sick in the hospital. And they called for the elders to come and anoint them with oil and pray. And so we went to the hospital and we prayed and anointed with oil. And then they all died. It's okay. It's, it's true. People die. And he said, I was thinking, and this is what he said, right? He's an old guy. He's a really great guy, you know, great pastor. He goes, I was thinking that God would at least bat 250. But he was 0 for 4. He said, so I got to thinking, maybe we got this passage wrong. And so what he's discussing in James is an interesting concept. And so I'm going to break this down for you in basically two areas. There's instruction and then results. And then we're going to explain how it works. So the first thing that James gives us is instructions. He says, if you're suffering, pray. And the reason I put for wisdom in place is, remember what he said in the beginning? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely. And that was in the context of trials and tribulations. And he said, count it a joy and a privilege when you go through trials. And if you need wisdom, ask of God, who, the, who is the father of lights. He gives every perfect gift. There is no variance or shadow from turning. And remember, we just talked about this several times over the last few weeks, that God sits on the edge and he's just ready to douse you with wisdom if you ask so the first thing he says is are you suffering are you going through trial are you going through tribulation pray pray for wisdom the next instruction he gives us are you cheerful he says let him sing songs let him praise to me that's an example of the opposite of the overflow of filth and wickedness that we talked about when you don't have the implanted word of God. So what begins to happen is if you're in a situation where you're cheerful, in other words, the scripture says, count it all joy, James taught us in chapter 1, count it joy when you go through difficult trials. If in the midst of trial you have joy, praise God. You see how this is working, right? If you're struggling... And you're really discouraged, pray for wisdom. If you're in the midst of the struggle and you have joy, praise God. And then he comes to this next phrase. Sick? Call for elders and oil. Now the context. We have to understand that the whole book of James is talking about what? Our spiritual condition. It's talking about how we stack up. To what truth says that people of God should look like. He says, if you have the implanted word of God, you have true religion, which is to visit the orphans. Remember, the lowest in society. He talks about the fact that you have control over your tongue. There's not this filthiness and overflow of wickedness. He talked about the fact that there's not this religious judgment. Law and order, religious intent was one of our messages. And he talks about the fact that you don't sit in judgment. You don't consider yourselves better than other people. And he talks about the fact that you, we, we talked about it in James where Paul, or in the Philippians where Paul says, think of everyone else as better than yourself. And so we've gone through this process, right? And so now we're in a situation where James says, look, if you've come to the point that you realize you're sick. Now, context always has to begin. When I'm looking at a passage of Scripture, and I'm trying to come up with the sermon of what it's going to be, the most important thing I have to look at is the context 
of the Scripture. It's very easy to take things out of context and twist and distort Scripture into saying things that I wanted to say. But the context of James is this. If you have a spiritual problem, here's how you deal with it. Here's how you diagnose it. Here are the symptoms. Here's what it should be. And all through the book of James, he's talking about our spiritual condition. And so we get to this passage about sick and calling for elders. And what I, I'm not saying that God can't heal. Understand, I'm not precluding the fact that God can't heal people that are sick. But I think this is a misapplied tool in that area. So that's the context of James. There is this spiritual condition. And the second thing he says is, Call for the elders and they anoint you with oil. Did you know that 115 times there is a reference to anointing with oil in the Old Testament? Not once is it for healing. It's always for the empowerment of the Spirit of God in someone's life. God has chosen them for a task. God has called them apart to be one of His children. And the Scripture is very clear. 115 times it's about God anointing, God choosing, God empowering, God filling, God overwhelming somebody's heart and soul in such a way that He transforms the direction of their life. 115 times. Not once is it for healing. So we see that oil is actually a symbol of empowering in the Old Testament. Who is James writing to? Do you guys remember? Jewish Christians who would revere the Old Testament, who would know it frontwards and backwards, inside and out, and they had a thorough understanding of what anointing with oil meant. When David was chosen king, what did, what did, the, what did the prophet do? Anointed him with oil. When Saul was chosen, what did he do? Anointed him with oil. When the priests were chosen, what were they? They were anointed. And the point here we have to understand is that anointing simply means that the Spirit of God is coming to a person's heart and life. And so if you're sick, call for the elders. He says, I'll read it. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the Scripture says, shall save the one who is sick. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Do you remember a few weeks ago when, 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 when uh, Les McCurdy was here and he talked about the fact that it seemed like that chapter 4 really said he couldn't be a comedian anymore because it has weep and howl and, and cry and, and be broken? This is where that application of Scripture comes in. What James is saying is this. If you're in the midst of this and you see the fact that you are sick, this is where you can weep and howl and cry and be broken. You can call for the elders to anoint you with oil, which is a symbol of the empowering of the Spirit of God in your life. And you can say, I need cleansing. I need healing. I need forgiveness. And the prayer of faith, the Scripture says, shall save the sick. So what are the results? Of this process. First of all, if you're suffering, pray for wisdom. If you're cheerful, even in the midst of trial, you have an opportunity to praise God for that. Count it all joy when you go through difficult trials. And if you're sick, if you realize, wow, this book of James has really kicked my butt. I see a lot of problems. Call for the elders. Now, what are the results of this? The first result is this. The scripture says you're saved. 
Now, how does this work? Remember what we learned in James about the implanted word of God? Receive with meekness, or another word for brokenness or humility, the implanted word of God, which is able to what? Anybody remember? Save your souls. So this implanted word of God saves your souls. Now understand, it's the same action there as here in James chapter 5. Saving. So clearly, what we see here in the context of James is that the implanted word of God is at work. Another clue that the implanted word of God is at work? Receive with meekness. What does it take to call for elders and ask for confession and cleansing? It takes what? Meekness. Brokenness. Humility. So you see two clues to the fact that what we have working here in this part of James is the implanted word of God has pierced through your heart, pierced through your soul, helped you recognize your brokenness, helped you recognize your sinfulness, and now your soul can begin to be at peace. One of my nightlife kids posted, I kind of preached a little bit of this message on Wednesday night. One of my nightlife kids posted on Facebook this week, you can't have peace in your soul until you can admit you're broken. You guys follow what I'm saying here? You cannot have peace in your soul. I don't care how good of a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Methodist or Episcopalian you are. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care how many worship songs you know. I don't care how many scripture verses you've memorized. I don't care about any of that. If you don't have an ability to admit you're broken, you'll never have peace. See, guys, peace comes when you recognize I'm terrible. So the first result is you're saved. The second result, made alive. He says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And this is where the confusion comes from. But we learned in Ephesians 2 a few weeks ago. For you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive and raised you up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. We learned about that, remember? On Easter Sunday. It wasn't even part of the James series, but it kind of fits right in. So the prayer of faith saves the sick. The Lord raises him up. And then the scripture says the next result, and if he has committed sins, they are forgiven. <coughs> now this is the process that I want to engage you all in today. I don't care how long you've claimed Christ, whether it's just for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or a couple of decades. There has to be a buy-in to this system of meekly receiving the implanted Word of God. So how does this work? How does this whole meekness and brokenness and being saved and risen up and forgiven work? There are some ingredients necessary. The first one is meekness and confession. Does that sound familiar? See, the key, the key ingredient for a person that is confessing his sins to one another is humility. James 16-20, let me read it. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James is commanding us to be so broken as a congregation, so humble as a church family, that he says there should be a continual brewing habit within you. And that is this. There's no fear of confessing your sin to one another. Recognizing that the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much, the scripture says. So the first ingredient is that you have to be broken. And I would submit to you 
That the only way that you can be broken is if you've, for example, you've heard the book of James, you've been convicted in your heart about things in your life, and what God has basically said is you've got problems, deal with them. The only way you can be broken is if the implanted word of God is at work. See, if you're broken, it's because you see your sin. You have received the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls, which ironically is what James says happens when you call for the elders, that you're saved. The second ingredient is righteous people's prayers. Now, why does James use Elijah? He talks about, think about Elijah, how he prayed in the rain. Why does he use Elijah? Again, who is he talking to? Jewish Christians who had a great respect for Elijah. And what James is trying to do, he's saying, hey, Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, turn away from your religious pomp and circumstance, that liturgical stuff that you thought cleansed you. Get away from that and embrace this new thing, which is prayer and communication with God on a personal, intimate level. Get away from all the temple worship and embrace relationship. Do you see the difference? And he says, look, Elijah did it. What? Prayer's too good for you, but it's not too good for Elijah. Jewish people have this tremendous respect for Elijah, and they're waiting for him to return again, and they have this, this love and ambition for his ministry, right? And what James is saying, look, if Elijah can do it, so can you. Reject religion. Reject the liturgical things. Reject the things that you think cleanse you on the outside and embrace the inside, which, which, which is where what? The Word of God goes. And embrace this relationship. So the next ingredient is the righteous people's prayers. Then the third ingredient is broken shepherds willing to serve. These are the elders that you call upon. See, don't think of the elders as, oh, they've got their stuff together. No! I got in trouble for this a few months ago, but I just can't think of a better word. Elders, right? We suck. We do. We're broken. We're flawed. Let me read some passages to you. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, this is from Philippians. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who thought he, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal with God, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, born in the likeness of sinful men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Shepherd, this is talking about the elders, the, the broken elders, the broken shepherds, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion or religious law, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for gain, but with eagerness. James chapter 1, 19 to 21. So therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. One of the things a shepherd has to be able to do is slow to judge with his mouth. Remember, we've talked about judgment. 
and be quick to hear the brokenheartedness of a sheep that is broken and flawed and wants forgiveness and cleansing and said, hey, I need help. Will you come pray for me? Give me the symbolic wisdom of the oil that comes from the Spirit of God and please pray for me. And a broken shepherd says, hey, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to tell you, yeah, you're pretty bad. James chapter 3, verses 1 in the first part of chapter 2, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, elders. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater restriction, for we all stumble in many ways. And then James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, you see a pattern developing here? It's an amazing book, is it not? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is an elder, basically? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's this theme again, meekness, brokenness, wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, it's demonic. For where jealousy or ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to call for an elder like that to help you with your sin? Answer, yes. Would you? An elder that is in the meekness and brokenness of wisdom, that is humble, sincere, not out for his own selfish gain or his own religious hypocrisy, but he sits there and he's quick to hear, he's slow to speak. Why? Because he understands that we all stumble in many ways. And the scripture says, if you are in the presence of an elder like that, who has the meekness of wisdom, not the wisdom from the, from the earth, which is sensual and demonic, but if you have somebody with that type of wisdom, it's pure. It's peaceful. It's gentle. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. And I love this last part. I just love it. It says, and it produces a harvest of righteousness. See, the point is this. If we're going to have people in our congregation that serve as elders and teachers, we have to be people who are broken and humble. And we have the, the meekness of wisdom that comes from the implanted word of God so that you call upon us. There is no fear that we're going to judge you. There's only joy that you've come in brokenness. And the scripture says when that happens, it's a harvest of righteousness, meaning this, you are turned from your sinful ways. Not because we browbeat you, not because we yell at you and scream at you, because we know that we are right there with you. So what's our vision? What does James want from us? See, I believe... It is time for us as a church, as a congregation, to just fall head over heels in love with brokenness. 
I want us to get to the point that it's such a big part of our ethos, our community, the way we live, that we adore and we enjoy humility. We adore and, and we hide, hold it above higher than anything else. Higher than musical talent, higher than good preaching, higher than good serving. More than anything else, we love brokenness. That's why the scripture says, count it joy all joy when you go through trials and tribulations because the testing of your faith produces patience. <clears throat> and so we have to become, guys, a congregation that just is in love with brokenness. That's who we got to become. I'll encourage you with this. The reason that the Church of the Palms has a history of being able to serve the downtrodden is because I do believe there's a residue of brokenness here. But it needs to flourish. It needs to become a harvest of righteousness. You see how that works? So there's no special or revered people. You know what we are, guys? You ready for this? Blow your mind. Who are the lowest people in society that James talked about? We are just a bunch of orphans. That's all we are. We are all orphans that Heavenly Dad has adopted and implanted us with the word of truth that has saved our souls. And it started when we came with humility. It's a place where it's okay to recognize that you're broken. A place where there is no I love Jesus competition. You follow what I'm saying? There's no, there's no competition of who can be the best church person. We're done with that here. There is no competition. Because we're all 0-16 in that area. This is a place where there is only broken people praying for broken people, no matter how broken. Why? Because we are fully aware of just how bad we all are because the implanted Word of God has left no stone unturned in your life. When the Word of God grabs hold of your heart, you know where your skeletons are. Especially for us, who try, in the midst of our decrepit sinfulness, to shepherd the flock that is not below us, but it's among us. And the picture for us as shepherds is not that we're over you, but we're below you. We're right among you. We're here not to pull you up, but to push you up. Recognizing all the while that we are just as flawed. We are just as broken. We are just as sinful. So there is no room in our heart to judge you. None. The only thing that's in our heart is joy when there's a harvest of righteousness in your life. So with that in, in play, here's the new garden ministry that we're setting up. We're calling them James 5 teams. We're going to have our first issue of it today. We're going to have two teams. There's going to be one in the back room in the pantry there. Megan and James will be back there. And Bill Mallett and I will be up in the balcony in a corner. 
And during our worship time, while the band is playing, if you've been overcome with brokenness and humility and you need cleansing and healing, call for us. Us broken, decrepit shepherds. In mercy and love, we're going to put our arm around you. And in the midst of our common sinfulness, reap a harvest of righteousness. No curtains. No confessional booths. It's face to face. In mutual, genuine humility and brokenness for all of us. And what we're going to do in the future, we don't know exactly how we're going to work it. Maybe it's, maybe it's on Communion Sunday. Maybe it's once a quarter. Maybe it's a night of the week. We're not sure yet. We'll communicate that to you. But we're going to set up regular access to our James 5 teams. So that any time that any of us feels like we are sick and we need cleansing and forgiveness, we can call upon a brother or sister in Christ. And the oil, by the way, it's nothing magical. It's just extra virgin olive. Right? There's nothing, it's not anointed, it's not, you know, blessed, it's not, you know, sanctioned by the Pope or anything. It's just olive oil. Because it's just a symbol of what? The power of the Holy Spirit. The bad news for you is we don't have the gift of healing. You might go see someone else or maybe even a doctor for that, I don't know. But the scripture has given us the power to reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. So as the band begins to play, the two teams are going to take their place in these areas. Don't be afraid of brokenness. Don't be afraid of humility. Embrace it. Because it's the pathway to a harvest of righteousness in your life that will allow you to read the book of James and not feel so bad.